facts and a simple plan or something like that. Some, it sounds something like that. But it's, this is like actually really good because it, it brought me into this understanding that actually we can actually reach um, our entire city. We can actually reach our entire campuses with the gospel. I did the math. 100 BTM students only need to reach out to 2.3 people a day for the entire city of Buena Park to hear the gospel. 84,000 people. So they, get, they help you give vision for that kind of stuff. They, they give you simple training for how to witness to someone in simple ways. Um, like how do you guide them into Christ? They have like preset, Bible says, all that stuff. But more than anything, I highly encourage you guys to come out to this because it will give you a vision for revival in our area, right? Um, all of this training comes from this thing called T4T. And it's from this pastor in China who's seen millions of people come to Christ in China. Um, and so this model has been taken and adapted into different areas. But this is pretty much what people are doing right now. If you guys know Francis Chan, Francis Chan got super influenced by this pastor who developed this T4T thing. And so Francis Chan house church model that he's going after right now is adapted from this kind of training. And so you guys should come out. I, th I think it's free. Like, you, all you have to do is spend an entire Saturday. It's August uh, 25th. Yeah, August 25th, and it's amazing. So please make it out to that. Sign up. Let me know. Um, I'm sure Jennifer and Tablo and it, or me, you've probably heard, like, you know, information about it from us. But please, like, try to make it out. This really will help you guys. Hi, guys. My name is Peter. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. I'm just here. I only have I only have two minutes, so uh, I'm here to share like a a homeless outre outreach event that's gonna happen in two weeks, from August 20th of Monday to August 24th of Friday. It's gonna be every day from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. and and it's going to be, um, we're going to meet at the Overflow Cafe from 9 to 12. We're going to prepare food from 11 to like like 12.30. We're going to pray. And from then to 6, we're going to go out and do outreach. And personally for me, I feel, uh, the Lord has called me to the poor. And it really breaks my heart because when I see the poor, I see a lot of them, they're not only broken, but they're also hopeless. And I feel like the Lord has really placed on my burden on my heart to instill hope, to give them the, the Lord is still with them. And I just want to share that quick vision. And yeah, it's gonna be Monday through Wednesday. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be evangelizing, sharing the gospel with food and drinks, and just telling them about Thursday and Friday. And on Thursday and Friday, we're gonna have services, and we're planning to have better food, and then. Hopefully, we're even thinking about feet washing. We're we're all asking the Lord whatever He's uh, where He's leading us to. But we're also so that's the gist of it. That's the date. We're also taking donations for money and clothes. So for clothes, there will be a box for donation next Saturday and Sunday downstairs. So you could drop it off there. And for money, you could Venmo Jason, the staff with the red red shirt back there. And yeah, his his Venmo information. Okay, actually, um, so yeah, if you have a heart for to sign up at the welcoming table afterwards, 
And if you have any questions, ask me or ask Jason. And yeah, sign up there. Our information's there, phone number, email, whatever you need, and even Jason's Venmo information's over there. So yeah, we're still planning it. It's, it's in the process, but for sure it's gonna ha happen. So um, we'll be updating. Those who sign up, we'll be updating you with emails and text messages. So. All right, awesome. I want to say this, we have a lot of stuff going on. There's a ton of stuff. We have a fall retreat happening. We have the homeless outreach. We've got, you know, all this nice stuff that just happened. There's a lot of stuff happening. I want to say this, a lot of our students are getting so much vision. This um, evangelism training, really, this is not something we planned. One of our student leaders really had a heart um, to bring this here with us. You know, this homeless outreach is not from me. This is Peter's vision. He wants to run with it. What we have is we have God speaking to the hearts of many of our student leaders. But what we need is your help. We need your help to carry what God is putting on our hearts. Amen? So I want to invite you and challenge you to be part of some of this stuff. If you have a heart for the poor, don't just tell me you have a heart for the poor. Show me you have a heart for the poor. Okay? If you have a heart for prayer, don't just tell me about it. You get an opportunity to do it because next week we are having a prayer burn, okay? We are doing 48 hours of continuous prayer starting after next week's service. We're doing 48 hours of continuous prayer in this room. I challenge you, join us, take a shift. We will have sign-ups after service um, you know, on, in the welcoming table. On the welcoming table, you can sign up. We need worship leaders, and we need people who will come and pray because we're contending for revival in America. We believe this is a strategic time for us to come together and to pray specifically for the issue of abortion, okay, specifically for that issue, but also for our government in general and for a general revival in America. And we're praying also for an outpouring of the Spirit here at Thanksgiving Church. This has been on the heart of our senior pastor, Pastor Koo, we're coming into agreement. I believe it's from the Lord. I believe God wants to pour out his spirit on our church and bring a renewal movement here. But we have to come to, into agreement with prayer. Amen? Don't say, oh, God, I want more of you. And then you don't show up for the prayer meeting. I go, I go, show up for the prayer meeting. We're taking a big step of faith. But there's even more after that. The Lord has put on my heart. Coming out of the burn, we are going to be launching a mini house of prayer right here in Burning Tree Ministry. We're going to be doing... Mon or excuse me, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. right here in this room. This is something that God um, has been laying on my heart actually for months. He's put on my heart that I've, I've felt like we need this. Hear me. Our grandparents' generation, they do morning prayer every single day. My mom, who is Korean, I'm half Korean, half white, by the way, if you don't know, okay? My mom, who is Korean, she once told me that if a church is not doing morning prayer, it's not a Korean church. My father-in-law, my wife's um, dad, is a pastor of a Korean church up in um, San Francisco. This guy, he retired um, last year. He used to pray like three, four hours a day. That's just how they did it. And you know what happened? Our parents' generation got like half of that DNA. So they come to morning prayer about half as much, right? And then you know what our generation lost the DNA. It's gone. And I'll say it is the reason why the Korean church in particular has been so powerful all around the world. It's because of its morning prayer DNA. And we are in danger of losing it. And I want to say this is our opportunity to take up a call. I believe that this paradigm of day and night prayer is the evolution 
of the Korean prayer, morning prayer anointing. I, I think we're called, church, not to pray less than our grandparents, but to pray more than our grandparents. I would challenge you, oh, that you'd have a vision to live in the prayer room. You have that kind of vision on your life, right? I think that this is what God is birthing in our generation. Hear me. If you want to have a strong faith in America, you must consecrate yourself from all of the temptations that wealth offers. What are you talking about, Pastor Dennis? I'm saying it's not enough to just come to church, even if a church has three services a week. I'm saying it doesn't matter how many church services you come to. It matters how well you steward intimacy in your heart with him. Does this make sense? And our generation has a calling on it to go farther than ever before. And so I'm praying, I've been contending that God would open up a path for us to get beyond program and event-oriented Christianity and to learn to have intimacy with Jesus in a sustainable way. That's the desire of my heart, and that's what we're going to be doing every morning from 8 to 10. Look, you don't have to come every day, but I challenge you. Look, if you struggle having quiet times, and you're like, man, it's just hard. I don't have anywhere, any place to pray. Well, you do on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, because we're going to open up this room for you in the morning. That's starting after the burn. We're going to be launching that. We've already got some volunteers who have decided that they're going to they're commit to being here on those certain days, I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider joining us. If you've struggled having quiet times, staying in the place of prayer, this is us trying to create an opportunity to help you do that. And I'll tell you, it is the secret, it is the secret to thriving in God. It is the secret to thriving in God. The secret to thriving in God is not you, you know, going crazy every worship, you know, yeah. Jesus, every worship set. Okay, that's not the secret. The secret is cultivating intimacy at the cost of consecration. Last week, we studied Daniel chapter 1. We are in a new series on the book of Daniel. But what Daniel did last week, we saw he refrained from eating the choice food. We talked about how he had just gone through a chaotic situation where he was ripped out of his homeland. He might have been castrated. He was ripped from his family and forced to serve a pagan king. And yet in that place, even though they presented all of the greatest foods that the world had to offer at that time, he said, no, I'm going to consecrate myself. I'm going to separate myself and say that I'm set apart for God. Brothers and sisters, Daniel is a prototype. And if we were to walk in his shadow, if we're to follow his model, then we must start where he started. We must consecrate ourselves. This is why I talk about things like video games, why I share my testimony, because I'll tell you, my life in God started when I separated myself from video games. Now, for some of you, you're like, I don't even hardly play any video games. Well, it's not video games for you then, is it? What is it for you? What's the thing that contends for your affections? Will you let it rule your heart? If you do, then you'll be able to have it, but you won't be able to have God in a great way in your life. This is how this works. If you want to follow Jesus as his disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. I say this all the time. I don't care how many times you're baptized. Get baptized a million times. I don't care. I don't think God cares. 
It's not about the water. It's about what the water represents. It represents you dying, going into the grave, and coming out living for his purposes. This is what we're talking about. We're not talking about a Christianity that's about outward appearance of holiness, but that lacks the substance of consecration. That is a garbage Christianity. I'm not about that stuff. I don't care how holy you appear on the outside. I care if the anointing of God is manifesting on your life through God moving in amazing ways in and through you. That's real Christianity. And we've allowed so many of our churches and our ministries to fall into this religious mumbo-jumbo garbage where we just show up, we sing a couple songs, and we have zero expectation that God is going to do miracles in our lives. We have zero expectation that God is going to move powerfully in our nation. We have zero expectation because we become blind to what the Holy Spirit is actually doing in the earth. The Holy Spirit is moving like crazy in the earth right now. I hear the stories, and I'm always like, God, what am I doing here? Southern California. Ah! I say it all the time, you should be begging. Oh, if you had eyes to see and ears to hear, you would be begging for God to send you to where the gospel is moving forcefully in the earth. I, one day. But until then, look, I wanna, look the reality is I, I, love, I love being here with you guys. And I love, I want to be wherever the Lord is because I'm his servant, right? Wherever he sends me, I want to be. But I've decided I cannot settle for a Christianity that is void of the presence and the power. I cannot settle for that. That is, that is the danger for the church. Jesus told the disciples, beware the yeast, the leaven of the Pharisees. He said, beware it. This is the thing that you should be really, really careful about. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. What is he talking about? Yeast, you put it in bread just a little bit. And the bread goes from flat, like a board, to all of a sudden it's like light and fluffy. That's what yeast does. From a spiritual perspective, what it is, is it's you being inflated with pride, thinking that you are more than you are. You got all this pride in you. On the outside, you look, oh man, that's, there's so much bread there. But you open it up, it's all air. You ever open those chip bags? It's a giant lie. Right? They could use half the shelf space at the supermarket, but they're lying to you. Right? You open it up, there's like a third. Yeah, that's some of our spiritual lives. You got like a handful of chips inside you. Where's the substance, church? Well, I'll tell you, it's because we esteem all of these outward signs of holiness, but we don't esteem what the Bible esteems. We don't esteem the things that the Bible esteems. Oh, yeah, should we get into it a little bit? What does the Bible esteem? It esteems holiness and character, and can I say this, power. But, you know, there are lots of Christians that they get really antsy when you start talking about power. They're like, ooh, you're one of those weird Christians, huh? One of those real Christians, thank you very much. And that's all throughout the New Testament, okay? Apostle Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of words, but a matter of power. 
said, I didn't come to you with just wise and persuasive words. I came to you with a demonstration of power. When he says, he says when I come to you, I'm going to test your power. So don't give me this garbage about all these great Christians that you've seen and they got no power. They might be on the way to greatness, I hope. But you cannot be great in the kingdom without power. And that should burst the heck out of a lot of our American Christianity bubble. Okay? A great church is not one where the music is perfect and they have snacks in the room for you. And they have like, you know, really well-dressed preacher with a nice hipster suit on. That's not the definition of a great church. Give me a poor church with no carpet where there's some power. Give me that kind of church. I think that's the kind of church that we're to be hungry for and seeking after. Why? Because you're supposed to be the church. It's not supposed to be, the, this guy's supposed to be doing all the power. No, a healthy church is one where the power is flowing through the people of the church. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're contending for. But in America, it is so difficult because we're so dulled by a materialistic understanding of the world. We're so dulled by a humanistic understanding of life. We put everything in humanistic terms. What does it mean to be great? Oh, it means like lots of people are following your Instagram. Lots of people are downloading you on your podcast, watching you on YouTube. All I know is that Jesus said that guys like Jeremiah were great. And they were despised in their generation. People hated them. People hated him and called him a traitor. No, I don't think that's what it is, brothers and sisters. I think we get impressed by things that people get impressed by. This is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He says, why don't you recognize who I am? Why can't you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? says, because you don't seek the glory that comes from the one above. You accept glory from one another. Oh, man, you're doing so good. You're such a good Pharisee. Oh, thanks, bro. Right? But you don't seek the glory that comes from the one above. I want to challenge you. You're supposed to be the missionary to your family. You're supposed to be the missionary to your city. If the city is dying, it's your fault. If the nation is dying, it's your fault. I raise my hand to that one all the time. It's my fault. That's why I come to fast and to pray. That's why I discipline myself to study the scriptures. And I step out in faith because I want to see God move in my life. I challenge you to do the same. Step out in faith. You can't become a minister unless you try and minister. You know, what the, you know how this works? I'll just tell you how this works. All y'all could be amazing ministers given the right context. Given the right context. You know what the danger of large churches is? There's just not enough to do. So lots of people just sit around and do nothing because there's nothing to do. There's no need for them. Right? But if you go to a small church, there's such need, right? Like we need you to lead Bible studies and lead worship and bake, you know, bake stuff for this. And all of a sudden, people get involved because there's need for them. Hear me, the nation needs you. The nation needs you. And we have to arise into that. We're looking at the life of Daniel because Daniel was a man who arose in a unique way in his generation. Last week, we started off, he consecrated himself. He set himself apart. 
Now we're going to see what happened because he chose to set himself apart. You ready? Daniel chapter 2. It'll be on the board. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. While you're turning there, God, give us the heart of Daniel, Father. Lord, let us be struck. Let us be convicted by his example. Father, I pray that we would be marked with the calling and the anointing that Daniel displayed in his life, Lord. I pray that you would release real faith, Lord, that we would, know, we would not be satisfied with being normal people without great testimonies in our lives. I pray that you would put a burning desire in our life. I must have great testimonies. I must see you move in a great way. Father, I pray that you would put that kind of vision and hunger in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It says this. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. And they said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. And the king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know I'm serious when I say if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. So you've conspired to tell me lies, hoping I will change my mind. But tell me the dream. And then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. And the king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. And Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. So they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. And that night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Let's pause right there. What we have is a situation here. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. And he is struck by it in such a way that he feels this great need. I must know what this means. I must know what this means. In the ancient world... They understood that God would speak through dreams. That the gods, I should say. And especially many kings reported having dreams like this. And there was a sense where they understood its importance. Can I say this? They had some wisdom that we've lost in our culture and generation. Dreams are one of the primary ways that God speaks. Happens all the time in scripture. 
all the time. Lots and lots of people got dreams from God in Scripture. Do you remember Jacob and Joseph? Brothers and sisters, I'll say this. If you do not have God speaking to you in dreams, there's something wrong. I say that lovingly. But I say this to say, this is something that we should absolutely contend for. This is something that we should desire. How do you get things from God? You esteem what he gives you. When we dream and when we just pass it all off, oh, that was just a figment of my imagination. Oh, I just ate some pizza and it made me weird, right? I'll tell you what it is. You're despising something that could have great value in your life. Now, hear me. I'm not trying to say that every dream is from God or that every aspect of every dream is from God. But I am trying to say God speaks to us. He does. If we would open up our ears and believe that some of these things could be from God, then I tell you what would happen. We would be able to seek out the meaning of these dreams and find revelation of God speaking to us. Hear me. It takes faith. Here's what you need to understand. We live in a materialistic culture. What does that mean? That means the world is made up of objects. That's the primary way that most Westerners see the world. It's just all a bunch of objects. And we study the objects and we learn how they work. And it allows us to make really cool stuff. But you know what it doesn't do? It has no paradigm to understand the meaning of life has no paradigm to understand things like relational intimacy, has no paradigm to understand these things. That's what universities can't tell you anything about. They got nothing to say on that stuff because it's a different understanding. It's a different worldview. Am I making sense? So if you approach life from a materialistic perspective, then what happens is you become blind to God because God moves in mysterious ways. He moves through The thoughts of our minds sometimes. He moves through our inner being. He provokes our hearts. He gives us dreams and visions. And if if you've been taught, if you've been trained to go, oh, I shouldn't care about any of those things, then what happens is you feel like there is no God. You remember the time when God touched your heart at a retreat or at a camp or something like that. But if you have a materialistic mind frame, what happens is two months later, you, you look back and you're like, did that even happen? I don't even feel, I don't feel anything anymore, right? No, let me just say this. This is how God moves. This is how he works. And so you have to become sensitive to the movings of the spirit in your heart. You have to learn how to talk like God. We always want God to talk like us, right? God, how come you never talk to me? You never heard the the voice in English, right? Justin, I want you to go to church today, right? So you want God to speak to you in English, but can I tell you what God wants? He wants you to become like him. You've got to learn to communicate like God does. People are always asking me, you know what the number one question I get in life is? Dennis, how do you know if something is from God? How do you know if it's God speaking to you? How do you know how to discern the voice of God? I hear that all the time. And let me, let me say, if that's you asking that question, good for you. Good for you because you're trying. That's a sign that you're trying to hear him. Good job. But the problem is a lot of times people want a materialistic answer, right? Well, if the voice sounds like it should have kind of a Middle Eastern accent, 
you know, and that might be God, you know. <laughs> but that's not how it works, right? There's no materialistic answer here. The answer is that if it, if it's of the, if it feels like God, it is God. Oh, that doesn't feel good. I don't know what to do with that, right? So we have to try and break it down and give people understanding. But look, there's a reason why intimacy is important. There's a reason why we say seek intimacy, go after intimacy. Because you need intimacy to recognize his voice. Like, people just want to skip over that part, right? Like, God, if you just tell me what to do, that would be really helpful in this situation. Like, am I supposed to be a banker or am I supposed to be a lawyer? God, just talk to me right now, right? Like, if we approach God like that, right? We give him our agenda and we say, God, if you could help me out a little bit with my problem, that would really make me happy. Well, let me tell you, you're doing it wrong. Why? Because God, he already gave us a picture of how he works. And the way he works is like this. If you delight yourself in me, I'll give you the desire of, my, of your heart. Right? If you surrender your life to me and follow me, I'll strengthen you. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the earth. See, his hearts are wholly devoted to him so that he may strengthen them. We want the blessings without the sacrifice. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. Why? Everything in the scripture talks about the preeminence of trusting. That's what it means to, that's what faith means. We want the blessings of God without the trust. Just give me the blessings, Lord, then I'll know you're real. No, then you'll know. Then you'll use God like your little personal, you know, ATM machine. Whenever you have need, it's like your parents, right? I need five bucks, Dad. No, how about this? How about we go, God, I want to be your disciple, and I'll humble myself and pour out my life to you. Learn to walk in your ways, and then he'll entrust me with the greater authority and the greater power and the greater gifts. Does that make sense? That's how this works. It's the trust that unlocks all the things of the kingdom. And look, before I, 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 I go on, I just need to say this. Look, some of you are really walking with great trust. I want to say, good job. Okay, don't hear all the rebuke. Okay, there's encouragement here too. Okay, some of you are walking with great faith. Good job. Okay, good job. Okay, some of you are not walking with great faith. I challenge you. <laughs> Walk with faith. Say, God, I want to trust you. Show me how I can trust you in this season. Some of you, you want more of God, and you've, you've wanted him so badly, but you haven't known how to get him. Oh, praise God. Let me tell you exactly what you have to do. Okay, this is all you do. You go, God. Show me if there's something that I can do to show great trust in you. It's really amazing. God will start to convict your heart of so many awesome opportunities for you to trust him. Right? It's his great faithfulness. He, he's very faithful to do that. When we come with an honest heart, we say, Lord, I do want to trust you. Show me how I can trust you. So what happens here, Nebuchadnezzar gets this dream, and he goes... Tell me the dream and tell me what it means. And the astrologers and the, and the magicians are like, this is impossible. But you know what Nebuchadnezzar is thinking? He's thinking, you're like that bag of chips. You're all bluster, wise man, magi. Yeah, right. Tell me what the dream was, and then I'll know that you're legit. Because, look, anybody can give you an interpretation. Right? That's not impressive. Oh, I think this dream means this. So what? 
There's, Nebuchadnezzar has some wisdom. Now, he's got a temper, too. But he's got some wisdom here, right? And he's saying, no, you tell me. So what happens? They can't tell him, and in his rage, he's going to kill all the wise men. Now, this should have been the most terrible thing that had ever happened to Daniel because it should have killed him, (laughs) right? This should have been the end of the story, and yet what happens? The crisis becomes the greatest moment of Daniel's life. The crisis reveals His faithfulness to the Lord, it's revealed in the moment of crisis. Hear me, right now in this room, we have no idea who has the power and who has the maturity. But we'll know in a time of crisis. The times of crisis are the things that expose us. They expose us because all of a sudden, we're tested in a real way. And now the question is, do you really have the wisdom to meet the crisis? Now, I'm saying this clearly. America is going to come into a time of crisis. I'm saying this clearly. America is going to come into a time of crisis. Don't ask me when. I don't know. Okay? You're like, oh, that's really prophetic, Pastor Dennis. It could be like 500 years. It could be, but I doubt it. Okay? I would guess either while we're alive or while our children are alive, America is going to come into a great time of crisis. Okay? The question is, Will we have developed the wisdom and the faith required for that crisis when it comes? Because the test is happening right now in the midst of our affluence. It's in the midst of our rest, in the midst of our peace, when we don't have to be diligent, when we don't have to be disciplined, when we could just watch Netflix and hang out with friends and drink $5 lattes every day. Right? This is the time where you have the opportunity. This is where the riches are, brothers and sisters. Right now, there is a distinction that's happening. Some of us are saying, God, I'm going to use the time and the resources that you've given to me to become great in your sight. Knowing that if I humble myself before you, you will lift me up at the proper time. And others of us are like, man, this is so great. I can just watch Netflix all day long and just chill. And I lovingly warn you, no, your immaturity is going to be exposed on a day where you don't want it to be. It'll be exposed in your intimate relationships. It'll be exposed when there's crisis in the nation. Can I tell you, there is a crisis brewing in our nation. I am speaking out about it every chance that I get. It is a neo-Marxism and I don't want to confuse you. I know some of you are like, why is Pastor Dennis always getting into this stuff? Because it's the crisis brewing in the nation. That's why, right? Because it's threatening to destroy the foundations that have made America blessed and prosperous. That's why I'm talking about it. And if we have ears to hear, then we'll awaken and start to sound the alarm also. Don't you understand? This is the role of the church. I've placed you like watchmen on the walls. You know what a bad watchman is? When he doesn't realize that the enemy's coming. That's a pretty terrible watchman. Like, oh, there's that army of evil-looking, you know, barbarians marching over here. Dude, they're probably just cool. They're probably like, probably have a party with them or something. That's a terrible watchman. That is a terrible watchman. Hear me. You are being discipled right now at your universities to become racists. 
The racism is going out of control on the university campuses. It's breeding and fomenting a greater division in America than ever before. It's turning people against traditional values. It's turning them against the God of the Bible. And we have so many Christians who just don't want to offend people, and so they just are silent. No, I challenge you to grow in maturity and wisdom. Hebrews defines maturity as being able to tell the difference between good and evil through constant and diligent practice. I challenge you, if you are a believer and you're trying to follow God and you're trying to play a prophetic role for the nation, then you must discern what is good and what is bad. That's one of our primary roles, and to declare it. I was telling my staff the other day, Martin Luther King Jr., he said all that's necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to remain silent. I lovingly say this. If you're not speaking out on abortion right now, you are part of the reason why we are going to be judged as a nation. I say that with love in my heart because I know that for a lot of you, you don't know. You've never been challenged to understand, but I challenge you right now. If you are not speaking out on abortion right now, you are no different from the Christians who are holding slaves or being silent about it in the days of slavery. I challenge you to understand whether this is good or evil. Because if it's evil, then I tell you it's the greatest genocide in history, and it's happening on our watch. But we're so busy having nice church parties. Where is the alarm? Where's the moral outrage in our nation? It should be the churches sounding the alarm. And to their credit, many Christians are. Many Christians are standing up and saying, look, I don't like offending people. I don't like getting in fights. But I must speak out about this. America was judged by a civil war that killed over 600,000 people. More people than I believe we've lost in all of our other wars combined. Why? Because the church was silent on the issue. It was not important enough. And do you understand that that's the reason why today those who hate God have an accusation against the church? They have an accusation against the church that the church could not discern the evil of slavery. That many Christians were there arguing for slavery, saying how it was biblical and right. That's the accusation that exists today because people 100 and 200 years ago could not discern the difference or were too cowardly to speak out about it. I make the same charge to you today. If you're not speaking out about abortion... You are not being a prophetic voice to our nation. You're not being a light in the darkness. Now I tell you, if you just go, God, I don't know what the truth is, but I want to know. And you set your heart to understanding. I believe God will give you conviction on this issue. This is exactly what happened to me. I heard a message on abortion. This was when I was uh, in college. I was at the University of California, Berkeley, and everyone I knew was pro-abortion. But I heard a message that condemned it really strongly. And I was like, I, I don't know about this. And I went to the prayer room. I said, God, I need to know the truth. Is this true? Is this true? And I got deeply convicted that, yes, this was true. It was worse than slavery. Slavery was the abuse 
of thousands of Africans. But today, we have the wholesale slaughter. Hundreds of thousands a year are killed. Wholesale slaughter, it's a complete genocide. And yet we shut our eyes and ears. Why? Because it happens in the doctor's office. I lovingly challenge you, if you're going to stand like Daniel did in his generation, brothers and sisters, then you must know the urgency of the hour. The problem is so many Christians have been lulled into such complacency. No, I tell you, it is an urgent hour. We're not doing a 48-hour prayer fast because it's fun. I hate fasting. But if the times call for it, I must be prepared to fast and pray. And I challenge you, look, if you have nothing worth dying for, what exactly do you have worth living for? If you have nothing that's important enough to you to show great sacrifice, it's a sign that you have nothing in your life that's worth celebrating, that's really worthy and noble. Put another way, if we're living in a great purpose, then we have great willingness to go through hardship and difficulty to attain it. But without, with the absence of mission and purpose in our lives, then all we can do is live for comfort. Then that's all that we're about. Make me a little bit more comfortable. Make me a little bit more happy. I challenge you, church, there's a need for you. We need you to arise in this generation. We need you to say, God, I'm not going to look to my left or to my right. I'm going to fix my eyes on you, set my face as flint, and be determined to do your will. This is what Daniel did, and in the time of crisis, he got a revelation, an interpretation to the dream. I've been going off way too much. We don't have time to go into the dream. We'll do it next week. Okay. But I want to lovingly challenge us. We must learn to prophesy. This is something the Holy Spirit's been putting in my heart like crazy. We must learn to deal with the prophetic. Okay? Why? Because we must hear God in this hour. Church, let me tell you, there's so many Christians who are afraid of the prophetic. You know why? Because they have no wisdom on it. They have no wisdom on how to deal with the prophetic. So when they get a word, they don't know how to test it. They don't know how to discern whether it's from God or whether it's not. When you have no wisdom on the prophetic, then yes, the prophetic is very dangerous. Because you don't know whether it's God. You become at at the mercy of the person who's prophesying. But I challenge you, if you don't have wisdom on the prophetic, go get some wisdom. Scripture says if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault. The answer is not, no, get me far away from the prophetic. I have news for you. If that's your heart, then what you're saying is, I don't want God because God is the originator. He's the one who's commanding us to seek after after prophecy. Does this make sense, church? And hear me. This is is a prophetic word right now. Prophecy is going to be the thing that releases the revelation of the mercy and the love of God into this church like never before is going to be the thing that breaks off the spirit of shame and condemnation that has found a stronghold in this culture. It's going to be the greatest blessing of the church if we'll embrace it. And there is a directive from the spirit that we seek after it in this season, even though it's scary, but we seek after prophetic gifts 
and we seek after the wisdom in order to test and discern true prophecy. Both of those things are necessary. And hear me, do you understand? That's exactly what Daniel's gift was. As we go through the book of Daniel, this is exactly what God gave to him. He gave to him wisdom to discern what was from God and what wasn't, and ability to interpret dreams and visions. Hear me. This is what we need in this time. We need people who will embrace what the Spirit wants to say, and we, will, and we need people who will, say, who will grow in wisdom to help us corporately discern what the Holy Spirit is saying in this hour. So right now, um, worship team, come on up. I'm taking an altar call right now for people who want to grow in dreams and visions. In the spirit of Daniel, this is exactly what the Lord is saying. Right now, can we stand up? 